Welcome to the Financial Side of Life podcast. Our mission, to empower you with smart financial strategies and show that it's possible to get a college education, save, invest, retire, or do whatever makes sense to help you live your best life. We'll meet amazing people and professionals who will share stories about how they do it, and together we hope to bring a little sanity to your complex financial life. And now, here is your host, Certified Financial Planner Pro and founder of Avea Financial Planning, Angie Forbotten-Larosi. Hey everybody, Angie Forbotten-Larosi here, and I want to welcome you to the Financial Side of Life podcast. So today, I'm excited to have Robin Fisher with me on the podcast. She's an old friend going all the way back to elementary school. And in fact, Robin, I was just recently looking through my photo album and I came across my 10th birthday party photos. And I don't know if you remember, but you were there. <laughs> I do remember. Oh my gosh. I remember a lot about elementary school. Yeah. yeah. And that was in this house because I'm still here in this house. So. Oh, that's so funny. <laughs> my brother's room. Oops. Wow. That is hilarious. Yeah. So we go quite, quite a ways back. I hadn't realized it was that far back. So yes. it's awesome. But as happens, you know, we graduated high school together. Life sometimes just kind of goes on and we, we actually have lost touch a bit. And so I knew that she was doing a lot of very interesting things. So I reached back out and here we are today to hear all the details. So thank you, Robin, okay. for joining me. Sure. I'm really excited to be here. Thanks, Angie. All right. So I'm going to let you kind of talk about all the things that uh, your bio and things like that. But what, what I like to remind you as well as others is that this podcast <clears throat> does, I, I center around topics related to the financial side of life. And many of the conversations that I, I like having are talking about education, higher education, leadership, you know, careers, taking charge of your financial life so that you can live life on your own terms, and especially how these things pertain to women. And so I really think that you're kind of that perfect guest because you hit on a lot of these areas for sure. So I'd love to start by hearing more about your background, uh, particularly your, your educational path, how you got started in your career, and then ultimately this creation of your business, entrepreneurship, um, related to RT Fisher Educational Enterprises. So can you just kind of tell us a little bit about yourself and all of that? Uh, sure. So after graduating from Pasco High School, I um, went to Mills College in Oakland, California. Um, and um, while there, got really involved with, I, I still was very much involved with journalism because if you may recall my background at, even at Pasco High was editor of the newspaper and so I was really into journalism really into political journalism and uh, after graduating went to the California State Senate uh, and wanted to really pursue um, a career in political journalism. I was very interested in what was happening in the world uh, and how I could hopefully speak truth to power um, and so I was part of um, a program called the California State Senate Fellowship Program. And in that fellowship program, I was assigned to uh, the California State Budget and Fiscal Review Committee. And in that committee, I was assigned to um, a subcommittee that focused on higher education. Uh, and so that's where I really got my initial uh, start thinking 
about the importance of higher education and the policy around higher education. Uh, and from Sacramento, um, the senator that I was working on behalf, his name was Senator Al Alquist, um, asked that I, um, on his behalf, go to his district, which was San Jose, California, and um, help an initiative there that was being run by uh, the mayor at that time. Her name was Mayor Susan Hammer. So I went to move to San Jose and uh, helped with an initiative uh, around um, community engagement in San Jose, California. And while there, uh, working with um, education topics primarily, but around uh, engaging community around education topics, I was then um, asked to um, support an effort uh, called the California Student Opportunity and Access Program, or CalSOAP for short, at San Jose State University. Uh, and as the director of that particular program, my job was to um, increase the number of underserved California students uh, to be better prepared for higher education. Uh, so we were based out of San Jose State University and we worked with a number of high schools and middle schools uh, to ensure that students and their families knew what the college going process was about and how best to prepare from it from soup to nuts, A to Z, and what that really took and what that meant. So I spent about five or six years there. Uh, and it was there that I started to get more involved with uh, state initiatives, statewide initiatives around the college going process. Uh, and that's when I started to get hints um, that maybe I could do this above and beyond being a part of an institution. Uh, maybe I could serve uh, in a different capacity uh, in my own consulting firm. And that's how R.T. Fisher Educational Enterprises was born in 1999. Uh, so we are now in our 20th year of providing a variety of uh, educationally focused uh, activities, primarily to the state of California, uh, but we also uh, do work with the College Board, uh, which is uh, a national effort that we've uh, worked on for several years, uh, as well as with ACT and some of the other um, college-focused national organizations, but we primarily are focused here in the state of California. Okay. So that's a, in a nutshell what I've, what I've been up to. Fantastic. Okay, so what, uh, what kind of challenges did you face early on getting, getting your business going? Well, first of all, I'm not a business person. I didn't intend to be in business. And so this is what happens a lot of with folks who <laughs> think it sounds wonderful to be in business yeah. for yourself, right? Uh, <laughs> but I, I, I wasn't a, you know, a policy person. I was an educator. I was a great communicator, but a business person, absolutely not. Had no idea uh, what I was getting myself into. And so um, that was a huge challenge. You know, I, I was able to acquire contracts I was able to, you know, have projects that would pay me, but I had no idea about the kinds of folks I needed to support me. I didn't really know um, really about the whole idea of planning, business planning and what that was about. So I took a couple of courses at a community college and, you know, got some certificates to say that I kind of knew what was going on, but uh, I, I definitely, those first few years were first maybe five, six years, I was really struggling to become an actual business. I, I could do what I could do and people liked what I could do and I could deliver, but I wasn't able to really take care of myself 
uh, and actually kept my job for the first five years of my, um, once we acquired the, the business, uh, right. so I could save money and I could figure out what I needed to do. And uh, that's what was my saving grace is that I still had some income from my primary um, employment. Yeah. And, and I love hearing that because I'm in year two of my business and I'm, I'm surrounded by other advisors through the XY planning network. So I get to hear other people, people's stories about their startup years and it's never easy. It is not easy at all. These first years are so mm-hmm. lean and slow and mm-hmm. you just feel like, Oh, it's never going to happen. And it does, you know, and it's that I have a little uh, reminder to myself. It's, it says, you know, grit, grit, you know, stick with it because you can't yes. quit. And so, you know, when we're talking a little bit about entrepreneurship, and, you know, for a lot of people, that's a, that's a dream. That's something that they think they want to do is work for themselves, which may or may not be, you know, all it's cracked up to right. be. But the fact that it's take, it, take, it took you five, six years, I'm finding out the same thing, you know, in order to be sufficient, self-sufficient and so on and, um, and not quit. That's a, that's a message right there. I think that's worth hearing because, um, we think that things might happen overnight and they just don't. So that's exciting. And plus you, you did it thoughtfully, I think by keeping your job, probably had the medical insurance and all that other stuff that goes along with the job. So that stability um, in giving you that flexibility to, to actually go after what was important to you, which was your, your new business. Yes. Yes, it was. I mean, I did, you know, and you have to have, I have, um, you know, you assess your risk, right? I'm pretty, High risk. I, I, I take really um, calculated, but I can stand risk um, only because I know that I, I'm really confident in my skills. So if something didn't happen, I knew I could get a job. I knew that I could, you know, take care of myself. And so because I was betting on myself, um, it allowed me a little bit more risk um, to step out there, especially when I decided to uh, leave my job and, and really step into this full time. So um, yes, I made sure that I was, you know, I had several months of contingency funds, but also just stepped out on faith too and, and hustled really hard um, those couple of years after I uh, left my job because I, I have a little bit more tolerance for risk than some. And, as an, and then I really realized, and, oh, maybe I am an entrepreneur because um, that's when I was um, really um, thriving was when I really had to be very creative and thoughtful about how uh, to make this work. And I love that you touched on risk as well, because that's another thing um, and failure, you know, cause mm-hmm. risk, you're, what you're putting at risk is, you know, failing at something or not doing yes. something well or not succeeding. And mm-hmm. there's always that chance, you know, that you're risking uh, a known, a known job for an unknown, you know, business future. Mm-hmm. Um, I've started to kind of rethink my, my opinion or my belief in taking risk and failing in general, because now I'm, I, I'm raising kids and my, you know, my opinion used to be a little less, you know, okay, get good grades kind of a thing. It was always that mantra, but in reality, I'm, I'm trying to push my kids to try lots of different things. And that might mean they don't get good grades or that might mean that they don't um, always succeed. And so failure is an option. Um, I'm curious to learn more about what you may have struggled with or failed at, maybe even early on in this um, mm-hmm. 
journey with your business. But then what did you, what came of that failure? Cause something always comes out of that. It seems like. Oh yes. I've had lots of failure. Um, and, so, <laughs> and it's sometimes really painful, um, but lessons learned without a doubt. Um, a lot of um, my greatest challenges, and, and I would say failure, is around staffing, right? Needing help, right? So you, you get a, a, a great contract and folks are really interested in You can't do it by yourself. So you have to get help. And I think that um, that was always uh, and has been continued to be a real challenge uh, for me. So we got this great contract and I had to scale up really, really quickly. Uh, and we weren't ready to scale up that quickly, but we did it because it was a great opportunity. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so when you go from 10 to 60 uh, really quickly uh, and you then begin working to um, manage this scaling of folks that you now are responsible for. So the obligation uh, shifts from you in a small consulting firm to this large, you know, group of folks that you are ultimately legally obligated to ensure that you are meeting payroll on a biweekly basis, that you are ensuring that you have space for those folks to be in. So my overhead also had to scale up. So um, it was a, a, a contract that lasted for about four years where um, I literally was working basically to pay rent and pay employees. Uh, and when that contract was over, um, we then didn't have the same, cause I only worked on that contract. I didn't have other contracts to support, uh, after that one was over. Mm. Right. Uh, and I didn't plan for it to be over. The client had financial issues and they had to, downsize, which means that we had to downsize. And it was really painful to have to figure out how to lay folks off, um, how to um, still have overhead that you were responsible for, for a number of years because you signed a lease. Um, So for a number of years after that, I was really taking on work to uh, pay for things that had happened in the past. Uh, and it was a great um, lesson to learn around uh, how not to do things, but it also taught me about how to manage with very limited resources. Uh, it taught me how to plan significantly better. Um, it taught me, um, really, that was my MBA because I learned how to be a business person really quickly mm-hmm. uh, with great help. I had some great mentors, uh, but um, that was, um, the, the failure was not knowing what to expect. Uh, and the learning from that is that that will never happen like that again. So what we call it, uh, my mentor called it, is that I had this big whale and this contract was a whale and it was awesome. And we ate the whale and we ate the whale and we ate the whale, but it didn't give us any time to do any other fishing. So we didn't have any salmon and we didn't have any smaller mid-sized contracts. We just had this great big whale. But when the whale is gone, then you see that you've depleted all that you can. So what it taught me is that I now focus on lots of mid-sized contracts, little contracts, a diversity of different kinds of resources so that I'll never get put in a position again where there's one major contract that's dominating all of 
my space or our company's space such that we're not able to really ensure that we're seeing the ocean as a whole rather than just this huge, uh, wonderful uh, win that as everything, it will be gone, it will be eaten. Um, and so I would say that was the most powerful lesson learned from a failure that still to this day has repercussions. I'm still um, trying to recuperate from that particular uh, situation. It's, it's, it's you know, um, exceedingly better. Uh, and I've learned so much, not like that, but it, it definitely hit our organization pretty, pretty hard. Right, right. So, you know, looking back, would there have been, aside from the, the one whale concept, would there be other, one other kind of major thing that you would have done differently if you had it to do over again? Well, you know, I probably would not have acquired uh, a brick and mortar as quickly as I did or expanded as quickly as I did overhead for brick and mortar is really outrageous. Yeah. Um, and um, I'm now going to the other end. So we've, I've started in my home and then I got a, a space, a smaller space. Mm -hmm. And then we got this huge space. It was beautiful. It was awesome. We were able to accommodate and do all kinds of things that we wanted to do. Uh, but then I was kind of stuck with it because you have a lease that you have to pay that you're stuck into. And so I'm now on the other end. So I've downsized back to a smaller space. And then eventually, um, you know, I don't know what kind of office configuration I'll have. I'm really interested in virtual offices and yeah. shared spaces. And so I'm going back now towards the other end as I go towards this next phase of our, our organization. So definitely has been a cyclical process. And if I would have known then what I know now, uh, I most likely would not have, have done that, except for um, it taught me some amazing lessons and I am much stronger business person because of it. Uh, but I would have preferred not to have those lessons if I could have avoided it. <laughs> I don't know. Like you said, that was your MBA, right? And yeah, it was. It was. I learned, a, I learned a lot. So much so. This is the funniest story. I, I got this amazing angel mentor. Uh, I went to a bank and I was struggling and I was trying to get some uh, help uh, alone. And the vice president, she was a woman and she was so kind. And she said, you know, you have a great business plan. You're doing great things, but we just aren't able to provide you with a loan, right? Um, and she said, but what I can't provide you, I belong to this organization uh, and a small business association kind of organization. And I, I can get you some help. And so literally that next day, uh, this gentleman, Steve Roth is his name. He called me the next day and he says, you know, I heard that you need some help. Uh, and I'm here to help you. And he says, can you meet me at this cafe in Berkeley? And I said, sure. And I meet this gentleman and I share with him what, what's going on. And he says, for, you know, pro bono, he worked with me for about three years um, to really help me get on my feet. He was almost like a private tutor mentor to me so much so that I didn't even know. He was like, so what's your P&L? You know, show me your P&L. And, you know, being proud as I was, I had to research that. I had, no one had asked me what a PL was. So Angie, I was on the internet looking for a P in the letter N L. And I was like, I can't find a PL. I can't find what is a PL. And so <laughs> he said, I said, you know, Steve, I'm so sorry. I don't know what a P 
letter N L is. And he just got red. He says, Robin, no, a profit and loss statement. I was like, why did you say that? <laughs> how in the world would I have known what that was, right? That's how much of a business person I was not. Right. So, um, oh so my. yeah, that private tutoring and mentoring and his support over those years really helped me uh, to be able to become a much more savvy business person. Um, so I would say I'm, I'm uh, more prepared to, to have conversations, financial conversations than I was 10 years ago. <laughs> yeah. And you bring up a really good point that, and I've heard this over and over again, that none of us succeeds on our own. Right. Oh. And that's just an, a perfect example of building a team or building a network or building the support that you need, uh, whether yes. it's through family financially, because, you know, I'm building my own business. I need fi family financial support just to keep our, you know, groceries in the refrigerator and gas in the car. Um, I need, I need support from other advisors because that's how we learn and share. Um, so I have study groups and we meet every week, you know, but we're virtual. We aren't even here in town locally or anything. It's just uh, having that connection with other people who are like-minded doing the same thing you're doing, um, having a connection to people who have already maybe been ahead of you and are teaching you things that you didn't know about, like the PNL statement. And um, boy, just surrounding yourself with that, that network is one, to me, one of the really important keys to success, uh, especially since it can take so long, that five to six year time frame, right? So yes. such a good point, finding people to, to mentor you. And then in return, you know, we mentor people below us, you know, younger people or people come behind us. So absolutely. I'd be curious to know more about um, some of the programs that you, um, gosh, just on your website, there's just a lot of different things that you are involved in. So I'd mm -hmm. like to know more about them. Okay, sure. Uh, let's see. Um, we have uh, a nonprofit organization that's called the Choose College Educational Foundation. Mm -hmm. And the purpose of Choose College is just that we uh, are of the belief that um, young people, their families, their parents, anyone who's interested should have the opportunity um, to have all the barriers removed such that they can make a choice about whether or not they want to attend college. Uh, here in the state of California and across the nation, that's not always a choice for many of our students. And there's lots of reasons why. And our organization is about removing those barriers so that people can make really um, thoughtful decisions about what that looks like. I mean, not because someone else believes that they should not or that they're not, that they don't, they're not college material or that they don't have what it takes because they're too poor or they're not smart enough or they're all the things that folks say uh, why folks uh, may not choose college. Our organization believes that that's not the case. And so we do whatever we can to remove those barriers. And so some of our programs are um, what we call the STEM steps program. Uh, where we're providing strategies to empower uh, and educate students in their families, fifth through eighth grade students, um, around how it's important to start thinking now about how to be the best student that you can possibly be. Because what we know about colleges and universities is that they are looking for um, students, right? That's their business. And so being eligible 
uh, for college is one of the ways in which we begin to remove some of those barriers. When you are an outstanding student, you know your strengths, you know your challenges, you are able to articulate what that is and what that means, you're able to advocate for yourself. Um, in high school, you're able to participate in programs that will allow you to have more access to the college of your choice. And so this particular program is really about how do we get our younger students um, equipped with the kinds of self-efficacy um, skills and advocacy skills such that they can begin to be thoughtful about what it is that they wanna consider uh, in their future. And we think starting, it's never too early to start thinking about how to be the best that you can be. Now, we don't spend a lot of time though with the financial aspect of college with students that young because we want them to be uh, more interested in their interest and in cultivating their talents. But with their families, which is part of that STEM Steps program, it's a family-based program. Uh, we are absolutely talking with parents about how best to start planning in elementary, middle school for their students to participate. Uh, everything from you know, good old savings bonds um, to begin um, instead of all the things that folks purchase for Christmas gifts and birthday gifts. Mm -hmm. uh, we're saying, let's, let's start sharing these things. Let's start with some early savings plans that I know financial planners have available. Um, and it just takes a little bit of money per month to start planning and preparing. So we're spending a lot of time with families around the financial aspect of college, but with students, we spend more about being the best you can be and really finding out what you love and going from there. So that's a big pro Those two programs are big programs that we work with, including our uh, College Making It Happen initiative, which is a statewide initiative uh, where, again, we're in middle schools uh, throughout the state of California uh, advocating a campaign of making college happen. And this is how you do it really knowing what information you need to know very early on uh, to be prepared. And that one is really focused on teachers, educators, because what research tells us is that for a middle school student, uh, your peers are your first folks that you go to. And then it's your teachers. Your teachers really do have an amazing influence over you, even before your, your parents or your families. So we really spend a lot of time um, ensuring that educators have the most relevant, up-to-date information about the college-going process because they could make or break um, a child's you know, future based on what they know or don't know or the advice that they give. So we spend a lot of time ensuring that educators have great information about the process um, as it relates to the college-going process. Those are some of the, the bigger projects that we're working on. Okay, and did you say you gear that toward fifth through eighth grade? Yes, the, most of, that the, uh, most of the, the STEM Steps program is for fifth through eighth graders, and our College Making It Happen initiative is for middle school, so sixth through eighth grade. Okay. Do you focus on anything to do with the high school age students? Uh, yes, so we have um, several um, partnerships with high schools throughout the state, uh, and um, we're really focusing on ninth and tenth grade uh, with... Um, the University of California in particular, uh, and with the CSU Chancellor's Office around ensuring that students know what um, the college requirements are. For us, it's called A through G, and it's a, a set of courses that students um, are 
recommended to take if they want to be eligible for a four-year public university mm -hmm. here in California. So we spend a lot of time with eighth, ninth, and tenth graders making sure that they're really clear about what that sequence is. But then more importantly, we're looking at 11th graders uh, to assure that if for some reason uh, they received um, a grade in one of those courses that wasn't a C or higher, um, that they know exactly what to do to validate or make up that particular course. Because a lot of times uh, we find that our students are become ineligible for a four-year college here, public university here in California because of um, uh, something that's happened in ninth grade. They didn't get a chance to make up that particular course or they didn't get great advice or counseling about how to do it. Um, and so we spend quite a bit of time making sure that students and families really know from that perspective, from an academic perspective, how best to be as prepared for college as possible. So do you, what are your thoughts on, I don't know, the future of higher education in general? Um, I just, you know, again, I focus more on the paying for college part and trying yes. to help families plan ahead either through savings if they started early enough. Um, but a lot of people that I'm speaking to are more in the high school. They're already in high school, the kids. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so now it's just a matter of um, like college selection and also taking, you know, figuring out what resources do they have available uh, to apply towards college and, and how does that look for four years? You know, how are they going to actually pay for all four years? So that's one thing that I do, but um, you know, we all know that the, the loan balance, I think, is 1.5 or 1.6 trillion right now for student loans. I think there's somewhere around 43 million student loan borrowers. And I feel pretty strongly that it's okay to borrow to go to college, but it's not okay to borrow so much that it burdens your future self, you know, or your parents who might have retirement on their horizon. So I'm just curious, your thoughts, if, um, do you see any changes coming down the Pike as far as affordability in college or are, are families preparing better for going to college? What are you seeing kind of on the forefront? Well, that's a great question. You know, um, there are 5,300 college choices in the United States. Yeah, lots. Uh, and, and because of that, I think that there is a fit and a fit with respect to a financial fit, respect to a, a social fit, fit to an academic fit for anyone who really is serious about wanting to go to college. And that, and that really means then um, that you really have to do your research, you have to plan ahead. Um, and I do think that the idea of affordability, you know, taking advantage of what each of our states have available here in California, we have the California Student Aid Commission um, that really is focused on financial aid and what that looks like. We know a lot of our private and independent colleges are, are really um, progressive, a lot of them, with respect to financial aid and how best to support families uh, around how best to uh, have their student attend college. And um, I'm really, you know, I, I'm, I was a worker. I worked, you know, I worked through college and um, I did take out loans myself and my family. Mm -hmm. And I learned how to responsibly pay those back. Um, and I looked for ways in which to do that. So giving families as many different options about how to do that. What does work study really look like? What does summers really look like? I remember coming home 
uh, to Pasco and I had three jobs during the summer. Um, I was working at the movie theater. I was working at Patel. I was working at Safeway. I was, you know, I was hustling. Uh, and so, you know, and had enough after that summer to really go back to school and, and uh, really use that to my benefit. And I think that there's some work ethic uh, that has shifted some from families and what is expected of their kids. And, mm-hmm. you know, I, it has not been my blessing to be a parent, so I would never speak on behalf of parents. Mm-hmm. However, uh, because I work with a whole lot of kids and a whole <laughs> lot of families, um, they, they could work a little bit more. Uh, they could do a little bit more. And so uh, families- That's what you're hearing, huh? <laughs> That's what I- Parents. I don't know. You know, I could see that they could do a little bit more. Parents are, are very gracious. The families that I meet, uh, they um, give a lot. Uh, and our kids could work a little bit more too. Um, so it's a both and uh, in the oh, sense yeah. that there are resources available. Um, but there definitely is, um, and with this gig economy, I mean, our kids know how to do all kinds of things. Now, as a, from an entrepreneurial spirit, uh, I'm saying, yeah, put that, put those entrepreneurial skills to work um, and help out your family and what that looks like and what that means. But the most important thing that I tell students as it relates to financial aid is to be a great student. It makes a difference. Yeah. Um, and so if uh, we really want to ensure that our students are able to have choices, um, then early on, it's really making sure that they have the appropriate skill sets to be the best student that they can possibly be. And that just opens up so many more opportunities. And if they are going to borrow, is to borrow responsibly. Um, I, um, again, um, worked with, I, had a, I have younger siblings, much younger siblings. And so the agreement with my family was, uh, since I didn't have children of my own, I would help support my family with my younger siblings. Um, they, you know, my sister came to live with me when she went to college so that I could help defer costs that way. Um, so also there's ways for us to be, you know, more community oriented, think about how best to support one another. What does that look like and mean? And it did make a difference that um, she didn't have to have much debt coming out of school because as a family, we decided that we were going to support uh, in this particular way. And, and that's the way that I could contribute. Um, to the family and to her education. So there are ways that I think that we just need to be creative and thoughtful and do things the way that folks used to do it um, in, the, in, in addition to some of these other ways. But I think that um, there's so many options and choices that that shouldn't be financial reasons don't have to be the number one reason why mm-hmm. uh, students aren't going on to college, um, especially if we're thoughtful about all the different ways in which we can support one another. Yeah. I like, I like your approach to the creativity and I would agree 100% that in my own situation, cause I have a son who just started college at oh, congratulations. State. Yeah, yeah, I know at Washington state university, go Cougs. Right. So, All right. um, but I, I made a video on this because my, my experience has been that it took a village, you know, it took us as a family and it took him being the good student, like you said, it took yep. my parents, they contributed to um, savings plan in a 529 plan. Mm-hmm. It took another aunt, my husband's aunt, who did not have children of her own either. And she also saved for all of her nieces and nephews in mm-hmm. 529 plans. And then she passed away um, just a couple of years ago. And we were the beneficiary of her planning. Mm-hmm. And so it really did take 
a village. In addition to my son working as well, he worked two jobs last year as well, high school, internship, and then a summer farm job. So I like that aspect of, of like what you said, as far as it, if finances shouldn't be the number one reason why, you know, somebody doesn't go to college, there are a lot of creative options out there. Mm -hmm. I just don't know that people realize that or, or what I'm trying to get people to do is to have them sit down and kind of map it out. Here are all of our creative choices. Let's, Mm -hmm. what's it look like? What are those numbers coming up to? And what's the gap? You know, what's the difference? And maybe that's what we um, have left to either borrow or figure out another creative solution to paying. So uh, it's an interesting comment. I love that. Fantastic. So um, I wanted to ask you a little bit, you are, I would describe you as, you know, highly educated, you're a business owner, you're an advocate for young people. And then, so all of these things mean that you're a cheerleader for others. So what gets you inspired? Uh, being outside, I love nature. I love hikes. I love to travel. I make sure that I travel at least once a year to some place that I really want to go. This year, I'm going to Cuba. Uh, and uh, last year, I went to um, Norway uh, to present uh, some of our work that we're doing here in Ca- all the way in California. Uh, so I like to travel. It gets me inspired. I love to meet other people, uh, understand other cultures, uh, learn from them and bring back from those experience, some of the work that I do. Uh, I, I love to garden. I grow lots of my own vegetables and you my do? own cut flowers. Yeah, I love it a lot. Didn't think that I would, but I absolutely love it. Uh, and it's so inspiring to get your hands dirty and to be able to cut things and eat things that you have actually produced. And uh, so I love that uh, a lot. And that does a lot of inspiration. I do a lot of reading still, pleasure reading. I do a lot of reading for, you know, work. You could see if I'm looking at my bookshelf now, but I love to still read just for reading's sake. Again, there was no power, no internet, no phone service over the weekend. So I got an opportunity to do all those things that inspire me without any interruption. Uh, so those are the things. And now this morning, I'm ready to go because I had an opportunity to really recharge. So those are the things that really get me inspired. Great, great. So um, when I, when I think of us as kids growing up, I, I, you know, I have kind of my opinion of you and I, I have what I think um, are some of your qualities, you know, you were just a a leader, you were outgoing, you were involved, you were just that natural, you know, a natural cheerleader, even though you were an actual cheerleader, right? (laughs) Again, I was looking through the yearbook. I was like, oh yeah, she was a cheerleader. Yeah. And I might post a picture too. We'll see. I'll I'll let you know. Uh, Yeah, that would would not be a good idea. (laughs) It'll be fine. You can do whatever. I I wonder where did where did you develop some of where do you think that you developed some of these, especially like the entrepreneurial or the you know the advocacy. Where did you develop some of these interests and and talents that you have now that you're sharing through your business and through the work that you do? You know, that's, I don't, I don't know. Who knows? Um, You know, we come, I come from really humble beginnings. You know, it was just me and my mom for a really long time. And, um, and uh, then 
even even still with with uh, our family as it changed and grew uh we were still you know really uh humble folks and but we used everything and we were involved with everything i think it has all to do with my my parents and my grandparents and just making sure that i was exposed to as much as i could be exposed to in spite of um having really humble beginnings and what that looks like and means i think that i appreciate and am so grateful for all the opportunities that i've been afforded uh and folks that have really believed in me so uh, and have poured into me and have really um been my cheerleaders i think that is just a reciprocal feeling of um, I, I'm a born advocate, I think. I'm always looking out for folks that kind of grew up like me, um, under circumstances like me. And mm-hmm. I think that that um, definitely is, is, is one of those uh, places where it comes from, is being able to be exposed. When I grew up in, in, in Pasco, I had so many different kinds of friends. You know, we all had different backgrounds. We all had different, come from different families, but we got to know one another. Uh, We got to uh, spend time with one another. Uh, And I think that that made a difference too, is that I had um, such a diverse group of opportunities and uh, experiences that it made me just want to uh, share as much as I could with others about the potential that they have as well. Uh, Because folks saw that I had potential and and chose to invest in me. And I feel like that's my, my job now is to, to return the amazing favor that was given to me and the grace that was given to me as well. And your mom's an educator, right? She is. So. She is an educator, a retired educator. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, um, you know, she is one of the most inspirational and um, uh, people that I know. Um, and I admire her greatly, and I did not want to be a teacher, and uh, primarily because I saw what it was like, you know, she worked so hard for other people's kids, and, uh, you know, well, sometimes it's like, you're at your school, I want you to come do this with me, and uh, she was so dedicated to other people's children, and I think that it rubbed off on me, uh, you know, you, you really have to be a special, I think, individual, and she definitely was that, that cares and loves on other folks' children like your own. Mm-hmm. Uh, and although I didn't want to be a traditional teacher, the apple didn't fall too far from the tree because I'm definitely in education and I'm right. definitely doing it in the way that I wanted to do it. But it definitely is because I was exposed to so many amazing educators, including my mother, but definitely growing up in the Tri-Cities, um, just amazing people who dedicated their lives to this work. So um, I think that has a lot to do with it as well. Yeah, I agree. Who are some of your favorite teachers? Let's see. Um, so they're they're not always around anymore. Yeah, let's see. Um, my, I, I see my Miss Mitchell was um, at Captain Gray, mm-hmm. um, and um, she was um, my only African American teacher uh, that I've had uh, K through twelve. Uh, yeah. And so I remember her because she was young and so pretty and stylish and smart and seventies, right? Uh, I don't know. Would have been I don't a, remember well, elementary. 
Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't think of time like that, Angie. So <laughs> <laughs> I don't think in decades like that. It was whatever grade it was. I didn't even say what grade it was. I don't think. But <laughs> anyway, it was a long time ago. But I remember her vividly, uh, and to this day, like I said, she, K through twelve, she was my only African American teacher, and so I have others. Me. I'm shocked. Yeah. Yeah, I have others that were amazing teachers that I love, Mr. Brown and Miss Jones and all kinds of folks that, again, have poured into me. Oh, Miss Mannion. Of course, I love Miss Mannion to, yeah. to death. Yeah. Um, but um, it was that first teacher that uh, looked like me, that made mm. me believe that I could do whatever I wanted to do, uh, that still sticks with me today. Mrs. Mitchell. Uh-huh. Mrs. Mitchell. Or Miss Mitchell. I don't know if she, I don't know if she oh. was married or not. Ms. Yeah. Ms. Probably yeah. in the seventies it was Ms. Mitchell. Maybe so. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So tell me, what's coming up next for you? What's on the horizon? Uh, you know, we're uh, launching this uh, big college making it happen uh, statewide activity that's taking place in April. So we've been working with um, what's called the California Educational Roundtable to launch that. And so we're excited about that and uh, are looking forward to reaching almost 200,000 middle school students um, this campaign. So um, we're excited about being able to impact uh, lives in that way. And uh, so that's what we've been focused on. And we also do a lot of work um, across the state with a program called the California Gear Up Program. Uh, and it is in four regions across the state where we are doing lots of professional development with educators uh, in um, content-based mathematics. And our area of specialty and expertise is around uh, intervention and how best to intervene uh, either for rigorous remediation or for acceleration and um, enrichment, how best to do that and when does that look like. So uh, we are um, working uh, in four regions throughout the state, really um, trying our best to ensure that students that require what they need, uh, our teachers are able to support them. So those are the two big things that we're working on right now that is taking up quite a bit of our energy and time. Fantastic. And where can people connect with you or, or learn more about you and what your company is working on? Uh, well, they could definitely um, check out our website, you know, rtfisher.com, pretty easy to get to, uh, or chooseCollegeForLife.com, uh, which is what we really believe is that you're not choosing college for four years, you're choosing college for life. It really changes a life's trajectory, um, and uh, we're really wanting folks to realize it's not about getting a job afterwards, it's not about, you know, how much money you can make, it's about the opportunities and the enrichment opportunities that your life shifts when you get an opportunity to uh, choose college if that's something that you really want to do. So uh, those are the ways that folks can get in contact with us. Fantastic. Well, Robin, um, I like to wrap up my conversation with people by asking, what would you say would be your key piece of advice to listeners about pursuing their best life? I think that uh, the best advice is really this idea of um, you can have it all, but maybe just not at the same time. 
right? So really being thoughtful about the things that you may really desire and that you could have that, but you just may not be able to do all of it all at the same exact time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that delayed gratification and, and planning really is about a full life and what that looks like and what that means. Um, and so uh, that advice was given to me and I live by it uh, and would, am glad to share it with others is that uh, you can do whatever you want, just maybe not all at the same time. <laughs> true. So true. I mean, life is kind of in waves at times you Absolutely. Know, or seasons, you might even call it. Exactly. Come and go. And I'm, I'm in the season where I'm starting to be an empty nester and um, it's, it's actually freeing me up to have more opportunity to work on business and, and my personal pursuits, you know, not just children related. So it's a new season for us in this household and mm-hmm. um, yeah, not being able to work on everything all the time is so, so true and good advice. So Robin, I want to thank you so much. It's been yeah. so good to kind of yes. back and chat a little bit. Um, gosh, I'm sure we could talk personal stuff for hours for sure. So Thank we'll have you. to schedule some other time to catch up as well. But Thank you so much for coming and talking about what you're working on and and your background and how you got to where you are today, because I think it's just always amazing to hear how other people do it. You know, what what did they do? How did they do it? And where are they today? So um, it's been awesome to catch up with you. And thanks so much for sharing your story. Sure. Thank you, Angela. It's good (laughs) to see you again and catch up. And um, I appreciate the opportunity anytime. Awesome.